0: Hey,
1: everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. You won't scroll through very many posts on the Facebook group without seeing the reply, raise your rates. Well, in this episode, we tackle the why and how in raising your rates. To do so, we are joined by Jeff Ford, the owner of Wendell Taylor's Garage in Stratford, Prince Edward Island, Canada. Jeff bought his business and quickly realized that the old owners were operating with margins that prevented him from building the business he envisioned. That meant that one of his first orders of business was to fix his pricing. We discussed the mindset needed to raise your rates, why it's important to do so, and what happens in choosing to keep your rates at those 1997 prices. If you haven't already, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. We're on every single one now. If you're catching us on YouTube, please make sure that you subscribe to the channel. We're trying to hit a specific goal on subscribers, so please help us out. It won't cost you anything to hit that subscribe button. If you'd like, you can support the show on Patreon now. Our patrons will be receiving a few exclusive perks, including early access to new episodes and monthly Ask Me Anythings, featuring the very best industry coaches and trainers. Just go to asog.site. Yes.com .com was taken, and click on Become a Patron Now, and that will take you to our Patreon page. With all that out of the way, here we go. <music> well, you tell me, what? where did you start at, and where are you at now? How did it go?
2: I'm probably about uh, $20 more per hour labor rate-wise than we were before, but that really is only like when I bought the shop, sorry, um, which is early 2018. But that's really only a very small part of of where we went up. I mean, we've implemented a labor matrix since then. when when I first purchased the shop, we were charging list price on, on you know whatever it said on in the invoice for parts. So we've implemented a parts matrix, obviously. So the labor is only a small part of the puzzle, but but we went up, uh, you know, about uh, seven dollars a year, roughly, since since uh, twenty eighteen, early twenty eighteen.
1: Seven dollars a year in your labor rate?
2: Roughly, yeah. We'd be up uh, about twenty bucks since since twenty dollars since then. Um, but again, that's then there's a labor matrix on top of that now, too. So that's kind of only a very small piece of the puzzle, obviously.
1: So how are you judging the the price increases?
2: Um, as far as how are we coming up with with what to increase? No, no. Like, buy? What uh, do you mean?
1: So you ha- have your customers noticed that? Have they sent anything to you? And, you know, obviously you needed to get to a certain point. Did you decide I, I need to move from X price to Y price? Or, I mean, sure. how did you even make that decision?
2: Sure. Well, well, when I first purchased the business, um, I just kind of moved from the bay out front uh, and just continued to operate things as my as my previous employer had. Um, but shortly thereafter, I hired a coach, and and through that coaching, um, started to realize that you know there, we had to make some changes here. There was, you know, things weren't adding up. We were started to look at the numbers, and um, they, they weren't good. (laughs) So um, did you think
1: they were good before? You know what? I probably
2: did not. uh, I I realized it pretty quickly as an employee of, of the business, I was able to uh, you know, work away and, and see all the cars and, and in my mind, and as I'm sure a lot of employees feel, uh, you know, everything was amazing that, you know, this business must be doing so well. Once I started the, the purchasing um, process and started to look at the numbers uh, with the, with an accountant and stuff like that, it, it became
1: pretty clear that that wasn't the case. And so that's when you decided to get a coach and then the coach said, hey, your prices are all off.
2: Yeah, well, I, I started, um, I guess first I went to Vision. Um, I went to Vision and I took a class with Cecil
1: um, that dug into
2: some of the numbers and talked about some pricing matrices and, and different stuff like that that was pretty eye-opening um, and it was coming back from vision, vision where I said, okay, you know, I, I definitely need some help here. Um, so I started interviewing some coaches, um, settled with a with coach and, and started working with him. And, and that was one of the first steps in that process where he kind of said, okay, you know, uh, you have a vision where you want this business to go. In order to do that, it's obviously going to be profitable. Um, you know, and here's where we need to start uh, uh, working away on that to make that happen for you.
1: So he, he put that direct correlation from your vision from where you wanted to be to, to the pricing. Yeah, that was, that was definitely part of the process. I mean, I had uh, a
2: a lot of things that I, you know, wanted to accomplish and, and obviously to accomplish those things, uh, we've got to be profitable. So first step was to, to build a profit model and start working on in that direction and, and pricing accordingly, obviously
1: just, just came with that. That was something we had to obviously implement almost right away. So was it a matter of your expenses, and then working off of that once you figured out what, you know, where you wanted to be as far as profitability, or did you look at the market and see what it could bear? How did you make that decision?
2: Um, I think a lot of it was was industry standard. Um, we we looked at a lot of industry standard, and then kind of said, okay, you know, if you know, if your parts margin should be X, and then kind of said okay what will the market bear and 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 we kind of took a few of those um different things into consideration and we we i mean we didn't just wake up one morning and say okay we're we're gonna go from x to z right now we uh you know there was we we kind of in, incrementally crept up to where we needed to be and and we're still working on that i mean we're still not perfect we're still not where where I feel we should be, especially given the the people in this building.
1: Lucas and I have been telling you about PartsTech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your PartsTech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description. Or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey,
0: one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with parts tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, Shopware. With unmatched features like parts GP optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. The Quality
2: that we that we provide, but it was a matter of you know uh, chipping away. You know, my coach at the time, and, and Lucas is probably very familiar with it. With the, you know, he always says, "How do you eat an elephant?" Uh, one bite at a time. Right. So it was just a matter Absolutely.
1: of moving forward, uh, bit by bit, if that makes sense. So my question, uh, or what I'm really curious about here is why, why did you feel like it needed to be bit by bit? In other words, like what, what's preventing you from walking into the shop and, you know, tacking 30, 40% onto your prices tomorrow? Right. That's a good question.
2: Um, at the time and still today, but especially at the time, it was my own insecurity and fear. Um, I, you know, i as I'm sure a lot of people, you guys can probably relate as well. It, you know, when you raise your prices, um, it can be scary. And at the time, all those negative thoughts and fears crept in, you know, uh, you know, what if I get pushback? What if my customers leave me? What if people are unhappy, et cetera, et cetera. So, well, looking back in hindsight, I don't think it would have been an issue to to go right from, you know, where we were at to, to charging a more fair um, pricing on our end. But at the time, there was a lot of, you know, I, a lot of my own insecurities and fear um, that probably, uh, it took a lot of pushing from, from, you know, Rick really pushed me really, really hard um, to, to get out of my own way on that.
1: So, uh, just thinking back, you obviously wanted to get to a certain point within the business. How did you see yourself getting to that point, or did you simply not know? Uh, other than raising your prices, how are you going to get from A to B? I mean,
2: it's uh, that's that's a tough question. It's it's it, there's so much that goes into it. I don't think without going off in a whole other direction. Um, you know, when I purchased the shop, uh, the kind of shop that we were compared to what we are now, compared to what we're going to be in another five years is so vastly different. It's it's almost like a, a whole different business. I mean, um, you know, we were a, a cheaper, uh, um, a very busy, cheaper shop um, that did I don't want to say, you know, we we did okay work. We provided okay service, um, but but where I want it to be, and where we're moving towards, and where we've come, you know we are now to 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 most for the most part, um, you know, we want to provide top quality service, be able to take care of our clients in 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 ways that the other shops can't. I mean, there's a lot of shops around here, right? We want to be the the very best and and look after our clients in the way that they deserve, right? So there was a lot of things um and again i'm kind of getting off topic but there there was so much starting out that that had to happen and change and and um myself even uh, obviously it's been a, a huge journey to change to to get more in that direction
0: you know i i think you bring up some really valid points and and i think that 90% of the time that we see a shop owner who's struggling to raise their prices and i know me personally it was a fear thing Right, it started from this place that I didn't feel comfortable with this i I felt like I was gonna lose my customers, and as I began to move more in that direction, I did realize that I was losing customers, but they were the ones that were really tough to deal with. They were really hard to deal with, they expected the world they wanted it for free and and we had a whole lot more. Um, of those very emotional situations. When you get somebody who can't afford to fix their vehicle and they're really in a tight spot, that's when you see some emotional outburst. And I noticed that in the years go by or years have gone by that the folks that that used to come in, I'm not seeing that nearly as much now, right? Somebody gets really upset about having to pay to fix their car. And so I think that there's there's some variables to this, but one of the interesting things that as I began to raise my prices um, and and began to grow the business, I started realizing that every other industry around us had been raising their prices, right? The plumbers around me are charging $200 an hour. The electricians around me are charging $150, $160 an hour. I mean, we're kind of like lagging behind in this industry. And we, we sit here and say, well, I can't charge that. Well, I mean, we need more technology. We need uh, folks who are proficient in in electronics and, and almost computer engineering to understand the thought process of, of some of the IT components. Uh, We need somebody who is proficient in wiring. We need somebody who's proficient in plumbing. We need somebody who's proficient in mechanical repairs. This is a pretty complicated trade, right? Yet, we've kind of laxed on the backside of while the other trades have gone on, raised their rates, charged more for for material. We've kind of fallen back on that a little bit. And so I I think that's something that, that as things have changed for me, I've noticed more and more. And, you know, as I noticed that my good customers really appreciated what the price changes brought to the table and they didn't really care about the price changes per se when compared to the value that it, it brought for them and the customers who weren't a good fit for the shop when they moved on, I began to lose some of that fear. I was taking little chunks of that fear and and throwing it away because each time I saw that I can do this, I can charge a little bit more. You know, one of the things that I I hear a lot in ASOG is, well, but what the market will bear, what the market will bear. And I'm sure there's a spot that you can find that the market won't bear what you charge. But I think that's a lot farther away than most people would ever imagine, it is.
2: Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. I, I, for me too. We went through a transition period that was really scary for me personally, because as we, uh, you know, changed our business model, we we did lose a significant amount of customers. I, maybe not significant, but a noticeable number of customers. And and like Lucas said, they, they were looking back in hindsight, they were probably not the best fits to begin with. But there was a period where things started to slow down and where I even began to doubt myself at one point. And and but as we started adding things that now being a profitable business allowed us to do, like loaner cars, like a much better warranty, like better technicians, you know, all these things that come along with 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 being a profitable business, we started to gain a lot of new customers that valued what we could do now and what we brought to the table now, like, our like those ones that went away, never did. Um, You know, and, and there was a period going through that shift. That was, you know, scary for me. And it did take some pushing from my coach saying, you know, you're, you know, it's, you've got to market to the, you have these great new um, you know, this, this business where you're doing all these amazing things, you need to market it and bring people in that, that value that, and, as we've seen that change, it's been a phenomenal change. And and looking back, I wish I could go back and you know kick myself in the in the in the tail, <laughs> knowing what I know now, right? But uh, but I agree with what Lucas said a hundred percent. It the, the ones that did go away were probably not the best fit to begin with for where we were going.
0: You know Tobin, don't you, Jeff? Yes, is Tobin? Yeah. You know Tobin. Yeah. Um You know I, I was talking with Tobin just yesterday. And I said, you know, he he was going through some stuff and and the shop slowed down. And I said, look, dude, you've made some big changes in the past couple of years. And and much of that flack has left the shop. Some of the things that you were talking to me about six months ago, they're not happening anymore. Those were the things that you wanted to fix. Those were the things, the stress that, that you had, that you had a, a glorified reason to need to get rid of that stress. Those things are gone. And you're panicking about what we're going to do to get cars in the shop. Well, when we raise our rates, when we make changes to the business, that changes our clientele, right? It changes who we're trying to bring into the shop. And I think it's really important that we recognize that and we, we kind of pivot ourselves a little bit and look for the customer who appreciates what it is that we're bringing to the table. Is it the warranty? Is it the loaner cars or, or the amenities that we have in the shop, what you're interested in? But I think it's really important that we don't get so caught up in one phase, just raising prices or, or making one change in the business. I think you have to be thinking about things when you get into this case. Let's think about our marketing. Are we reaching the right client who's interested in what we have to offer now? Right, Because in Tobin's case, we're good friends. I can tell you, hey, listen, a lot of people were calling who all they were worried about was the cheapest price okay, Tobin, let's fix the marketing. Let's get to the next level with this. We can't just drop the ball in one area of this and move away from it.
1: So don't you think that's where the disconnect is? we I was on a Facebook post, a local Facebook post, and somebody was advertising mechanical services for, I think the guy was like 30 bucks. He just put $30 on there. It was a picture of him in, inside an engine bay. Like he had hunched himself up and he was working on something. But when you think grease monkey, that was the picture that you saw. Just the, the prototypical Grease Monkey. That's what that he was a younger guy. That's what he looked like. And so at, there was just person after person asking for mechanical repairs. And at one point somebody got upset because he had a more difficult repair that he needed done on his vehicle. And he PMed the guy and the guy's response was, man, I'm not sure. Take it to the dealer. And the guy got upset enough that he went back on the post and he said, don't waste your time with this guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. He couldn't handle this one thing. But what the guy was asking for needed legitimate equipment and actual knowledge, not just, I need to swap in some brake pads and call it good. This guy needed to be a technician. He needed Whoever was going to work on this vehicle needed to be capable of handling these repairs. But for whatever reason, everybody on this post didn't see a difference. Didn't see a difference in this kid, this guy, younger guy, crawling inside this engine bay in a parking lot in front of a parts store with tools strung out all over the floor. Uh, This guy was just covered in grease from head to toe working on a vehicle, he saw they saw no difference in that versus whatever they get at Jeff's shop or what they get at your shop, Lucas, or what they get at my shop. They didn't see a difference in it. They just thought, well, it's the same thing. I'm just not paying as much. And I wonder why that is.
0: Well, and, and you know, how much of that comes back to the responsibility of the shop to explain that, right? I, I, in my shop, you know, I explain it. Right. And I show them and I take them into the shop. They can see the amenities. And and as far as I'm concerned, you know, I can take you to three different shops in town and you can see the difference between my shop, the cheapest shop in town and another, you know, in the middle shop. Um, and I, I, I think it's experience. Right. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit about this with the break evaluation last week. And, and the client that I was talking about in that last podcast um, was actually in today to actually make the repairs on the vehicle. And for instance the the front rotors on the vehicle were a thousand to discard and it had brand new brake pads put on it less than a week ago. And and the other shops raising cane, there's no way that these rotors should have been replaced. They're ripping you off, they're doing this, they're doing that. And the customer looks me dead in the eye and says, "Mr. Underwood, um we really appreciate you taking our safety and and taking it seriously in this manner and and we want you to know we appreciate that. And I think it's those experiences where we can we can show them the data, we can put it in front of them and educate them. Now there's some people who are never going to be interested in learning that. And I I want to be really careful when we say not my client right? There are some people who aren't a good fit for my shop. They are are strictly looking for the cheapest. They are strictly looking for something I don't offer. And you know, David, you and I have had this talk over and over again. When I buy a TV, I don't go buy the cheapest TV I can find. When I buy a computer, I don't go buy the cheapest computer I can find. When I buy a car, I don't go out and buy a used $100 jalopy that barely runs because that's not what I'm in the market for. That's not what I want. I want something that's reliable. I want something that's nice. I want something that meets the needs that I have envisioned. If I'm going to spend my money, I've worked hard to earn it. I want to make sure that I spend it on something that meets my need. Now, look, car repair is not some glamorous offering, right? It's not something everybody wants to go spend their money on. But in the same respect, I can look at at a repair on a vehicle just like my customers can and say, I'm a whole lot better off investing a little bit more to get this, right? And we've talked a lot about Rick saying, is it the cost or the price that concerns you? And I think that brings it all into perspective. Is it the cost or the price that your client's worried about? Because if they're just worried about the the actual price that they're going to pay right now, they're probably not a good fit for my shop. But if they're looking for long-term value, I'm probably the place for them. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people that the whole not my client thing, just because they're looking for the cheapest price doesn't mean that they don't have the money to spend. They just don't value some of the things that you offer, that you should be offering, right? If you don't want to be the cheapest guy in town, you should be offering some things that raise the value that you provide. And some people just don't see any value, and they don't want loaner cars. They don't want a long warranty. They just want their vehicle fixed as cheap as possible and and so it's okay to let those folks and and again I'm not talking about uh, somebody who who maybe wants what you offer but can't afford it that's not what I'm talking about I'm mostly talking about people that just don't value what it is that you provide Um, I know we've uh, I've got a friend in a shop that he's jacked his prices way up and he keeps raising them but Every single time he does, he thinks about the little old lady down the street who is now probably not going to be able to afford his services. He still wants to be able to take care of her, and he still wants to be able to to have her as a client, but he's sort of pricing himself out of her price range, even though she values what it is that he has. At that point, you might want to work with that customer, but somebody who comes in and just wants the absolute cheapest price. Because they see, and, and this is where it, this is the crux of the matter. I think we all understand we need to price profitably, right? To make sure that we're pricing ourselves in a manner that allows us to do what it is that we want to do with our businesses. But I, I think where the disconnect ends up happening is the the shop that refuses to raise their prices or says it's my market or, you know, folks around here aren't willing to pay for anything more than $75 a labor hour, they need to look themselves in the mirror and understand, is it really that they're not willing to pay that? Or is it that I don't see any more value in what I provide? And I'm afraid to try to try to get that extra money because I just don't see it. It's not worth it to me. And therefore I can't charge that money. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And look, it's not easy, right?
0: I, I, I hate to tell you, it is a whole lot easier to be cheap. Right. Let's just be real about it. It's a whole lot easier to be cheaper than everybody else. I, I talked to a shop owner a while back, and they said, "Well, our marketing strategy is to be just a few dollars cheaper than everybody else." Great. That's easy, right? It's lazy. I'm sorry. It's it's it, lazy. lazy. Yeah. And and you know, I I've it makes me think of this friend I had. His his name was Earl. He owned a modular log cabin manufacturing company, and and I'll never forget it. One time we went we went to dinner with Earl. And I have never seen for four people a $6,000 dinner bill. But that's just how Earl went to eat, right? He went to the nicest restaurants. That's what he wanted to do. That was how he wanted to spend his money. That's what he found value in. And and I think that it it's so easy for us to overlook that, we have to understand where the client's coming from when it comes to spending their money. We have to understand it's their money to spend. And we have to understand who is the client that we want to be working with. And how do we want to meet their needs? What are their needs that need to be met? It's it's bigger than fixing a car, right? We talk all the time about that owning a business and running a business is not the same job as being a technician. It's not the same job as being a service advisor, Serving your client is not just about fixing their car. And I think that's where the disconnect happens in my perspective is that it's very easy for shop owners to say, look, I just want to fix the car. And and many of them feel like the best way to do that is be super cheap. And the problem is, is that A, you know, I'm going to say it, look, I'm going to upset some people. You're holding the rest of the market back when you do that. I, I would never tell you what to set your prices, but B, Here's my big beef with it, is that if you're not setting your prices strictly off of your financials and looking at where your financials are right now, you're not making any money. If you look at Bob down the street and you just charge what Bob down the street is charging, I or mean, yeah, I guess less. you right. I could say, yeah, maybe you don't have overhead. Maybe you don't have this. Maybe you don't have that. To to run the type of shop that I operate and to offer the amenities that I offer, I'm sorry, I don't think it's possible. I think you've got to build your, your numbers away from your financials and say, this is what it takes to make my business profitable, and this is what I need to charge. Because I have a set of expenses and fixed expenses, et cetera, et cetera, that I have to build off of. Here's what I have to make.
1: You factor in market costs or the market the what of course what the market dictates is the the normal cost for your expenses. Exactly. Exactly. And I
0: I guess my point is is that I see way too many shops in ASOG who when you really dig in with them and you begin to ask them how did you set your labor rate? Where did you come up with your pricing strategy on parts? They went the easiest route. Well I I use list i called the shop down the street right list is arbitrary
1: by the way i mean i managed a lot of part stores and list was just a made-up number like yeah one part store i worked for they just doubled retail cost so the retail price was not not installer pricing but if the retail cost was uh whatever forty dollars they would just double that even though they were selling the part to you for twenty seven if the retail was forty, they would just double that, and that was eighty. There's your list price there was no there was no rhyme or reason to the list price. it was just whatever oh absolutely yeah and
2: and I think another thing to keep in mind too for the people out there that are setting their price based on Bob down the street there's a lot of Bobs down the street that are, you know, just barely hanging on They're, they're, you know, they're one bad day away from closing the doors or losing their home or, you know, they've got employees who are not being well looked after not taken care of there. There's, it's easy to look at Bob down the street and say, well, you know, Bob charges this. So yeah. And base your pricing off that, but you know, you may not want to be in Bob down the street
1: situation. Right. I think for a lot of shop owners, because you were saying that, uh, your, your, You're holding everybody else down if you price yourself too low. I think it depends on how good of a technician you are, or even if you're a one-man shop, right? Let's suppose, because this is typically what we see, the one-man shops that are super busy. They've got a 1,000 cars sitting outside. They're stressed out. They're working 100 hours a week, and they don't understand why, and they're like, I don't know what to do. I can't afford to bring another employee in but i can't get enough work done on a daily basis to take care of all these customers and more keep showing up. and so everybody tells them raise your rates, right? jack up your price. well i can't do that. not not in my market, right? and i think you do a disservice not just to the industry but you're you're discounting your own abilities. because if you're worth 20, 30, 40, 50% more, if you're doing that quality of work and a lot of them will say they are then why aren't you charging those appropriate prices? Like, I I understand that you're in the middle of Tennessee, in the sticks of Texas, whatever, right? I I get that. But a high-quality repair is still worth a certain price, and it's probably way more than what you're charging.
0: Absolutely. And, And it guarantees that you will always have a job, not a business. And it's really important to understand the difference. Because you can work for years at a job and never get ahead, right? Why, why do you start a business? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't to work on cars the rest of your life. I'm sure at some point you have to recognize, I can't do this forever. There's got to be some type of reward involved in this. And, and you know, look, I, I'm guilty of it. I, I worked for many, many years and never got anywhere at all. Right, I, I I was trying to make my customers happy. I was trying to be friendly with people. I was doing what I thought was best for them, and I I think that's where so many of us get stuck is we think we're doing what's best for the customer. We're doing what's best for the client because if I just charge them this and and you know we we set our own idea of what expensive is and we just charge them this that I'm I'm doing a really good job for them. No, that's not the case when we do a really good job, we're talking about warranty. We're talking about offering a loaner car. We're talking about being able to stand behind it. The car leaves and burns to the ground. If we have to write a check for Mrs. Smith's car, Miss Smith, here's a check. Go buy yourself a car. I'm very sorry. The insurance company is going to, you know, maybe the insurance company bucked this, whatever it is. We can't stand behind our customer. We can't take care of our customer.
1: I had a customer come in and uh, he came off a mailer, spent a ton of money with me. He liked the experience so much that he's like, "Hey, I'm going to bring you my, my, my baby. It's a Ram Charger." He brings me this '91 Ram Charger. It is in rough shape. Uh, lines are all rusted out. Brake lines, fuel lines, everything's rusted out underneath. Uh, wasps have been building nests underneath the hood. And he's like, "I don't care. Just get it running. I love this this truck. It's whatever." I said, "Okay, great. We get it running." He uh. He has to move from his house right by my shop to uh, another ha- property that he, he bought way down south, about 45 miles south from here. And this is an older gentleman. He doesn't have a lot of friends. He doesn't have much family. He's like, hey, I bought this property down here. I need to move my stuff. I need my my RAM charger to tow my trailer and all my stuff from my house here in Miriam to this this property I bought down south, this truck is barely hanging on. And, and I'm like, man, he, even if I get it and I, well, I finally got it running and it's running great and this, that, and the other, I still don't trust it to tow all his stuff from his house here down south. And he, he's calling me and he's getting stressed out. And he's like, man, I, I can't get anybody to help me with a truck. I can't get anybody to help me move my stuff. Uh, I've got to be out of this house by this certain date. I'm so stressed out. I don't know what to do. I really need you to finish this truck and and get it running so I can tow with it. If I can't tow with that truck, I'm I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I could hear how manic he was getting on the phone. And so I called a a rental place down the street and I got him a full-size truck, a trailer, paid for the whole thing, got them all set up, completely out of my pocket, just to ease his mind. So we wouldn't get stressed trying to get the truck fixed in a manner that would be, uh, ideal for towing all his stuff down back and forth. Um, so I called him up and I said, Hey man, I don't want you to stress out about your truck. I don't trust it to tow. It's, it's a 91. It's still got the 91 stuff on it. And, and all of a sudden you're going to be towing 4,000, 5,000 pounds with this thing. I, I don't know, man. It, it's all, it's, It's got a lift kit, and the lift kit's sketchy. Even if it makes it down there, I don't know how many times it's going to make it. It's going to be a sketchy drive. I said, I got you a truck. Just go down there, sign the paperwork. It's all paid for. It cost me a chunk, but, man, he was absolutely excited. And I'm telling you, like, years and years and years ago, I would not have been able to do that at all. Just to be able to just whip out the credit card and just, hey, get this done. That way he's happy. I've got time to fix the truck and not stress about it. I don't have to stress about him breaking down in the truck. And then I get the phone call at two in the morning. <laughs> right. I'm broken down on the side. And it's my fault.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've told you the story about the transmission. Right. And, and it was, um, it was built by a company who has quite clearly built a reputation for not doing the right thing and, and not using quality components and, and really just, a a mess. And, um, they bucked on this customer's transmission. And, and so I went and bought him a replacement transmission and, and out the door, if the customer had paid for it, it would have been over a $10,000 job. And when I handed him his paperwork that said, no, you don't owe me a dime. Here you go. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to put a three year, hundred thousand mile warranty on it. And you don't know anything. And he said, yeah, but what if they don't, what if they don't make it right i said it doesn't matter I'm, I'm here to serve you i'm here to take care of you and i'm that's what i'm doing and and i think that that so many of the stresses that i found in my repair shop when i was cheap right have gone away as i've 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 found my place right am i expensive yeah possibly am i the most expensive no i'm not I'm definitely not the cheapest, and, and I've got customers who, when they search for the cheapest, they can really quickly tell he's not the cheapest, but I'm going to tell you something. When I began to find my place, as far as pricing and profitability in my business goes, the stress and the aggravation turned to things about maximizing and expediting the flow through the business. It stopped being about how to survive. Can I pay my bills? Are we going to make it? What if I can't pay my guys? And it became something completely different. It became when I could watch the bank account grow as opposed to wondering if it's going to have enough in it to pay the bills tomorrow, right? And and I think there's got to be a shift in your mindset when you get to this point, but eventually you're going to find out that you can't, Really serve your customer and do the job you're supposed to be doing for them. If you're charging subpar rates, if you're not charging enough labor, right? I mean, we we talk about this all the time. How often do we hear that? Oh well, my gosh, you know, I I've, I've got a hundred twenty five dollar an hour labor rate, right? But that job that should should have been charging at at two, maybe three hours, four hours, right? Or or something goes wrong during the repair. And they say, oh, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Well, you pick up the the phone and call the customer and say, Mrs. Customer, we've run into this. It's going to be this many more dollars. You didn't build it, buy it, or break it. It's not your responsibility to pay to fix it. But for so long, we've subsidized auto repair with the dollars that are supposed to feed our families, supposed to send our kids to school, supposed to send us on a vacation. You can't live an endless life That's solely around working and stressing out about how you're going to make it. And and this dream of running a shop can't whittle you away for the rest of your life for no reason. But it all comes back to fear. It all comes back to, I'm afraid to charge what I should charge. I'm afraid to even look to see what I should charge. Right? I'm afraid to sit down and look at my numbers. I think time and time again, we have these conversations in the podcast. And it comes back to fear time after time after time. At some point, you have to address the fear factor. And you have to recognize that you're an entrepreneur. You're a business owner. You have to take the leap of faith. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you can't make a living doing what you're doing, you might as well let it fail anyway. Go get a job somewhere else.
1: I think that was the post that inspired this podcast was the gentleman who got the quote from somebody coming into his shop and they were they got quoted something like $2,400 to do an AC job on a Honda and that's what he put on the post he's like I don't understand how they got to $2,400 I'm at like $1,100 or something really low I mean it was just way off and he's like I just don't get where they're coming from I don't see these numbers and it was reply after reply going, what are you talking about? You've got to replace A, B, C, D, and E. And by the way, this is also going to fail on that. You're not going to find out till you put it all back together. And you find that this other component has also failed now that it's got fresh components elsewhere in the system. This other component's going to fail as well. So, yeah, the $2,400 is accurate. Maybe, you know, within 10%, but $2,400 is about right. You just didn't have the experience to know to build that out properly. Or, you know, you just weren't considering the, the repair as a whole. Um, I talked to this one shop in a, a teeny tiny town out here in the Midwest. And you look at their tickets. And, and I was having the discussion with the, the the shop owner. And, you know, he I, I think at one point uh, he pulls up a ticket and it was on a Pontiac Grand Prix and he was replacing one rotor because the other rotor looked okay. Uh, he was doing front brake pads. He was doing like one tie rod end um, and, and then charging for the alignment, but it was just a toe and go. It wasn't even a full alignment. And yeah, the price was cheap. It was a low repair, a low priced repair, but are, are you doing a, a, a proper service on the vehicle? Are you providing good value to the customer? It's not necessarily just raise your prices. He should have doubled the price of that ticket. But in doubling the price of the ticket, it should have been brake pads, hardware, brand new rotors, both tire rod ends, because we have to do the alignment. Might as well get them both in there uh, and a full, full four-wheel alignment and the ticket should have been twice as much as it was. But for whatever reason, rather than saying, how can I do this repair and this is just a mindset shift, right? How do I do this repair to provide the most amount of value to my customer today? And so I know for sure that that one rotor that I'm not replacing doesn't warp tomorrow. How do I know that I heat, they're not going to have to come back and do the other tie rod end now uh, that I didn't replace it and then pay for another toe and go or another alignment? Um, how do I make sure that the the back is aligned properly toward to the front? How do I make sure that I do a a premium repair at a great price, providing ridiculous value to my customer?
0: Well, but look, but here's the thing is, is that I, I guess my point in all of that is, is you're the damn professional. Exactly. you're supposed to know what they need you're supposed to guide them and lead them in the direction that they're supposed to go that does not include figuring out how to do it the damn cheapest you can do it that's not serving your customer it's not fixing that's the my problem
1: point. that was my point he saw it more important to save this customer x amount of dollars versus providing a premium repair does that make sense? Like he, he thought it more important to, to whittle away a dollar here, a dollar there. I'm going to find this part cheaper. I'm going to call 15 different parts stores to find this tie rod end as cheap as I can get it. To, in order to, to, to pass those savings along to my customer, I'm going to spend an hour calling part stores. Um, rather than doing a complete repair with premium parts, and the price is what it is, and I'm going to make sure that this repair is going to last a very long time, Because I'm uh, I'm confident in my abilities and I've sourced the best parts possible. He didn't see any value in that. He saw more value in saving the customer like hundred bucks or whatever, trying to do the repair as cheap as possible. And and that blows my mind. I I don't get it. And I
2: mean, the other thing, like like someone just mentioned, uh, you know, you're the professional that customer has a you know there's an there's an expectation when that car leaves your shop that it's good to go that it's safe that it's going to be reliable efficient and if you cut corners to save some money you know as the professional it's your responsibility to send that car out in in the safest, most reliable condition you can. And the customer doesn't know any better. They don't know, you know, they don't know that if you shortcut this, it may leave them on the side of the road there. They just assume that you're doing what's best for them. And, and It's short- an assumption. Absolutely. Exactly. It is it, a hump.
1: It is an assumption. A hundred percent of the time. I just had it in the shop.
2: 100%. It didn't matter
1: that that shop cut corners here and there to save you a hundred bucks. That's not what they remember. They never remember that. I just had it in the shop. I paid you X amount of dollars and now my car's broken down. Why? Exactly. Yep.
0: Yep. And, and it, it, if some reason we trick ourselves into thinking that's what we're supposed to do. Yes. Right. And and I have found so much more success in conveying to the customers why we don't do that. Right. Like I, I was talking to a client today and, and, and we were actually talking about that same brake job and, and, during the course of today, we had three vehicles. Two of them made appointments they're going to drive in. One of them was towed in from the same shop that did that, that has a stellar reputation. The reputation's beginning to, to take a tank. It's diving. And, and this vehicle's been sitting here, and it's rusty. And they he's like, I, I don't even need them to say they do or don't want to fix it. I just need to know what they want me to do. Do they want me to tow it out? Do they want me to leave this vehicle here? It's it's become a theme with this shop. So I was talking to the customer with the brake issue who had been in the same shop, and I said, "You know," I said, "I think that we we come up with these mindsets." and And the customer is is extremely well versed in customer service. He's he's uh, involved with travel and tourism, and uh, and a large capacity here in our area. And he said, um, "He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, I think we trick ourselves into thinking that it's the time that's most important to the customer. Or it's the money that's most important to the customer. And we never asked the customer wh- what was most important to them. And I've learned to find out from my customers, you know, if if you're really just focused on price, if you're really just focused on time, I will convey to you how I can meet that need and what the expectation needs to be. But it comes down to setting expectations. And so the conversation continued on and I said, you know, I personally don't want to go in for heart surgery and tell the doctor, hey, listen, I need to be out of here in an hour. I need to be out of here in two hours. I have to go and I'm only willing to pay this. And I, you know, listen, couldn't you just do this a little bit cheaper? Is there any cheaper parts you could use? (laughs) No, he's the professional. Right? So. When I'm in a in a life-threatening situation, I go to him and say, Doc, what do you recommend? What, what should we do? What's our next step? And he comes in and says, okay, this is what I would do. These are the steps I would take. This is what we need to do, and this is the action we need to take it in. This is how long it's going to take. This is the medicine you need to take. This is the surgery we need to do. And he's a professional, and I depend on him. Why is it different when we're talking about a vehicle? It's not. Your client is not the professional. And, and, you know, we talked about this last week. You can't let the client set the policies. You can't let the the client modify the procedures based on what they want. You know, in the medical field, that's called malpractice. I think we have to look at this a little bit differently and recognize that we're professionals. We have
1: to act as such. And don't assume that you know what the customer values Because I guarantee you that shop owner that I was talking to, they thought that's what the customer wanted.
0: You you know, I I don't know if you've ever heard. um, There's some, there's some classes. I know Cecil does some classes. I know Malin does some classes. Rick has a, uh, in his service advisor Academy, he does a complete section on the discovery conversation. That's the biggest part of the service advisor's job. And you know i i think it's so easy especially for these one man bands to get so focused on fixing the car they forget about the client they they just think about the car as the whole purpose of their being as the whole purpose of the shop's being they lose sight of the fact their number one purpose is to serve a consumer to serve a client to help someone And they get so enamored by fixing the car and they get so many cars in and they're just trying to go, 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 go that they lose their focus to the point that that sometimes they don't even listen to what the client's saying. Back to the brake job. My wife drives down the mountain three to four times a week. I really want to make sure it's safe. Guess what? I can't do that with rotors that are at discard thickness. I can't ensure that it's going to provide you the quality product that you want. I can't I can't rightfully do that. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm not worried about that. You do what you think is best. I just need you to guide me in the direction I need to go. Gosh, that sure sounds different than do it as cheap as possible. Yeah. But if you don't ask, you don't know.
1: So we understand that we need to make sure we're charging appropriately. Are you basing your numbers, your pricing – strictly off of your expenses? How how are you coming around to whatever your labor rate is, or how are you deciding what the best pricing matrix is? Are you just getting it from the coach or are you shifting it? Or are you tweaking it? What what are you doing? Um I I'm I'm using uh help
2: from, from coaching for sure in that regard, but I think we're almost working backwards. I mean there's there's a number that we need to hit to make this, um, you know, the, the risk that we take, um, the responsibility we take, uh, the stress that we take on, worthwhile, you know, and we have a, a a number that we feel is, you know, we have to be here to make this to make this work, to make this worthwhile, um, to pursue this this business and then we kind of use the the numbers to work backwards from there and say okay where what do we have to do to make that happen and and at that point it's just you know it's just math really um you know we have a, a level of service that we want to be able to provide for our clients um we want to have exceptional technicians and we do uh, you know when when we look at all these things at the end of the day there's a number that needs to be left over to make this worthwhile and, you know, we need to set our pricing accordingly to hit that target, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, makes perfect Definitely. sense. Yeah. Definitely.
0: And and look, so, you know, and I, I know we've hashed this out before. But, you know, w- what's the biggest topic in the industry right now? Well, I can't find any technicians. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, how do we begin to fix that? Well, they've got to be able to be paid fairly. Um, there's other industries that they can go into and they can get uh, medical and dental and vision. So got to be able to cover that. Okay. They can get, um, you know, uh, paid time off. They can get a 401k or a IRA. Great. Okay. Well, how do I begin to cover that? If, if we start with the basis of the primary things that the shop has to do, well, it has to fix cars. Okay, we want really good technicians. How much do really good technicians cost? What, what does it take to accomplish that? How do, we, how do we inspire one of those really great technicians to come work for us? Well, guess what? When you start putting your numbers in and all of a sudden, you know, uh, well, I hate to tell you, you're not going to do that with a $70 an hour labor rate. It's not going to happen. We can begin to work back from now, that. Not without
1: giving away a bunch of stuff. I, I remember there was a post on ASOG, and the guy I think was at 75 an hour, and he was giving half of it to his technicians.
0: Right, but see, he he provided no security to the technicians, right? And And he, in his eyes, I remember the post, in his eyes, he was thinking, wow, look how great I am to my guys. Look how good I am to my guys. He was providing them no security.
1: Security in what sense?
0: Well, think of of insurance. Think of dental. Think of vision. Think of the fact that the business has to remain profitable. So when that slow time hits, the business can have coffers that takes care of the guys. Right? What if something happens? He's in a car accident. Listen, I'm going to stand behind my guys. I'm going to take care of them. They're part of my family. I really care about them. But I have to have money to be able to do that.
1: I found that Peter Drucker quote. He said, the essential fact about profit is that there is no such thing. There are only costs. What is called profit and is reported as such in company accounts is actually the genuine and largely quantifiable cost of, among other things, the jobs and pensions of tomorrow.
0: Amen. Love it. I think that's
1: what you're talking about, that security Right. Yep. The solvency Absolutely. of the business. Am I going to be able to endure another lockdown from coronavirus and be able to survive without government money coming in? And if if I can't, am I charging appropriately in order to do so? So I, I think we, we've pretty much well established that the, we have to look at our pricing in a specific way to make sure that we are providing security. The, to make sure that we are valuing our services that we are the professional we're acting that way and pricing things like the professional that we are so how do we get there what's the mind shift mindset shift that we need to have in order to to get from 75 dollars an hour if that happens to be on the low end in your market and you need to get to a a, a higher dollar amount where do you start uh, how did you start jeff
2: um, I, again, I think it, uh, not to beat a dead horse, but it comes back to fear, right? It, it's a matter of overcoming that, those fears, uh, like for me, it was really, really difficult. And had I not had a coach, and I mean, not, not to say you have to have a coach to be successful, but had I not had a coach pushing me, um, you know, I probably never would have gotten there. And that's because I, I needed that push, right? And that can come from a coach that can come from peers that can come from a lot of different places. I'm not saying you need a coach, but having someone to push me past that fear and you know he he would constantly explain to me that everything you want is on the other side of that fear you know it's everything that you're after you've got to go through that fear to get there but it's just a matter of of having the the mentality and the ability to push through that fear i mean it's just it's the unknown that that holds us back for the most part it's it's the what ifs you know what if what if my customers leave? What if I, you know, and then that can snowball into, you know, what if I lose my business? What if I lose my house? What if I lose, you know, it, it's it's that fear and and the ability to just not necessarily push through it, but to overcome it. Um, for me personally, is having that was a the clear issue.
1: is having a clear plan. And, and I'm assuming you did with the coach, having a coach there to provide you a plan. And say, well, if we start to lose customers, this is the approach we're going to take. Uh, Don't worry about losing half your car count because we're going to triple your ARO. Uh, And so it'll be a net gain. Did you have to lay that out and just to see it on paper and maybe, you know, I guess quantify uh, facing that fear?
2: For me personally, um, we didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily lay that out as far as what I was going to do. There was a bit of blind faith involved, if I'm being honest, but it was also having, you know, talking to people like, like Lucas and, and other people that I know in the industry that I'd gotten to know in the industry to say, you know, Hey, I've been there. I've I've gone through it myself. It's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. And and just kind of to reassure and, and almost uh provide some, some reassurance that, you know, that you're not alone in this, that's perfectly normal to feel this way, that fear's okay, but you're going to be all right. And then of course, having that coach in, in, in there too, you know, Rick would always tell me like, you know, I, I'm going to do everything I can to, to not let you fail, but I need you to have some trust in the process.
1: Right. Yeah, for sure.
0: You know, and, and look, I, I think it's, it is fear and I think that eventually you just make a decision I can't take it being like it is anymore. I have to do something different. I cannot handle this anymore. I, I have to make a decision. I have to do this. Right? And sometimes you just set it down and say, look, I'm just going to do it. Right? And and I think that's when my business really began to change. When when my my peers from the outside, my coach from the outside were looking at me and saying, um, you know, I can see this. This is where you need to be. I've got to the point, you know, David, if you call me and say something, I'm going to listen to you. If Rick calls me and says something, I'm going to listen. And I, you know, I've got it and I will post it, but it's, it's some of the things that Rick has sent me, um. And and he says fear and faith are future-based thinking. In other words, both thought processes are based in the future. Fear happens when you focus on what can go wrong. Faith happens on when you focus what can go right. Remember where focus goes, energy flows. Your thoughts and focus are the steering wheel to your reality. You go where you are looking. Fear makes problems worse because it is the beginning of negative thinking. Fear can prevent you from taking action when you should. You make poor decisions when your thoughts are based in fear, which leads to poor results. Fear is not real. It exists only in your thoughts, a product of your imagination, causing you to fear things that may never exist.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We've all heard fear, you know, F-E-A-R, false
1: evidence appearing real, right? Absolutely. So fear wasn't a huge factor in my pricing. Um, it, it was a little bit at the very, very beginning when I started shifting my prices up to be able to, like Jeff said, provide a level of service that I was interested in providing. I had these grand ideas of what we were going to be able to accomplish as a repair shop when I opened up. And my pricing wasn't matching the value I wanted to provide uh, because I just simply didn't have the money to be able to do these things. Which was unfortunate, and it really had nothing to do with like how nice your front lobby is and whether you have a a, you know a coffee bar or whatever. It was more um, being able to provide a a really good warranty, uh, do the kind of marketing I wanted to do, uh, being able to provide amenities like a loaner vehicle and be able to pay for the insurance and whatever. I wanted to be able to do those things for my customers, and I just I could not I could not afford it at the prices that I was at. But for me, the biggest shift was in understanding how to price tickets properly. And I think this is discounted completely and almost never mentioned. And I don't know if it's just assumed. I didn't work in a shop before I opened my shop. I thought, just like the gentleman uh, that and who I was talking to about pricing out those that ticket on that Grand Prix, I priced my tickets the same way. It was one tire rod end. I replaced the one tire rod end. We didn't do rotors if we didn't have to. We machined them, right? At least I machined them. I didn't just leave it be. Um, but even even that, I think he said he was scuffing the rotor to knock off the the glaze and then shipping it. I was looking for ways to, to keep my prices low and thought I was doing a service to my customer by cutting corners whenever I could. I don't need to do this, you know, I can can do the left valve cover gasket. I don't need to do the right valve cover gasket. Oh, it's just the front valve cover gasket leaking, so I don't have to take the intake manifold off, so I'm going to be able to save you a ton of money, Mr. Customer. And I thought it was providing a great service to the customer. That's not what they wanted. They wanted a fixed vehicle. So as soon as I started understanding that I need to price these things out to ensure that this entire system is going to last as long as it needs to, in order for them to feel like they got maximum value out of it, my prices are going to shift completely. So it's not just one tire rod end, it's two tie rod ends. So I only pay for one alignment. It's not just pads, it's pads, rotors, hardware, clean and lubricate everything. It's a complete brake uh, service, maybe a brake fluid flush if we need to. You know, it, it's a complete repair. Now instead of just valve cover gaskets, I'm not just doing valve cover gaskets. I'm pulling the spark plug out, measuring the gap. Hey, it looks like you're getting close uh, on the uh, on the high end of this gap, or you're out of the gap. We need to replace not just the valve cover gaskets, plenum gasket. We need to do spark plugs at the same time, uh, ignition coil boots, and all of a sudden that $200 ticket is now a $750 ticket. And yeah, that's a huge increase in price. But the customer's going to drive away. Whether I do it for two hundred or seven hundred and fifty, the customer leaves with the same assumption. Does that make sense? They, they assume the vehicle's fixed, absolutely, and they're not going to have any more problems. I just paid this guy seven hundred and fifty bucks. I shouldn't have any more issues with this vehicle. And I know at two hundred, I'm not doing that. At seven hundred and fifty, I'm getting way closer.
0: Yep, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and and look, the other thing is, is that you got to think about the things like the clamps, and the the hoses, right? I used to do water pumps, and I wouldn't change the radiator hoses, and and you know, now looking back, that seems scary. That seems ridiculous. Why would you ever do yeah. that? And I, open I up the find- cooling
1: system and not replace the thermostat? Any of the right. hoses that you took off have to get replaced because the car is one hundred and fifty thousand miles and they're crusty. Like right. Everything you touch should get replaced. Pretty much everything, unless they're gleaming and brand new. And I'm telling you, I don't know, a- as many tickets as I've looked at over the last few years, this has been the biggest factor in somebody's low ARO, in my mind. It's it's very seldom, and, and I know we see them pop up on ASOG where the guy's like, I'm at $75 an hour. It, it's seldom that I see them too low on their labor rate. It's usually their parts aren't being marked up properly so they have you know a 30% margin on their parts or 25% margin on their parts way too low on their parts right and more often than not their parts la- parts the labor ratio is way out of whack yeah yeah and they're they're swapping parts out and never charging any labor time Absolutely. for those parts that they're touching and so uh one gentleman his AR was really really low and Uh, you know, he, everybody kept telling him, well, you're going to have to tweak up your labor rate. And so he did. And then again, and he was with a coaching company and that's what they were telling him to do. Hey, tweak up your labor rate. He got to the point where he was starting to get uncomfortable with increasing his labor rate. He's like, man, I'm the, I'm one of the most expensive in town. Uh, I don't feel like I can tweak up my labor rate any higher. So we did a ticket audit. And and I think I even replied to a, a recent post on ASOG. I said, audit your tickets. That should be the first thing. If you've got a problem with your with your pricing, if you've got a problem with your ARO, audit your tickets. We audited his tickets, went through, and one ticket that he pulled up he had a water pump r and r and uh he had labor time for the water pump and then underneath the water pump on this parts list was water pump, thermostat, hoses, like radiator cap and I think a coolant flush it was like there were no other labor charges in there. So he was charging for all these parts, no labor charges associated with any of the, the other parts. And I'm not talking about interference time. I'm talking about the water pumps on the passenger side and thermostats on the driver side. But he knew he needed to do both. But his service advisor was just charging for the water pump, and that's it. And so he needed to add another hour, hour and a half, two hours to that ticket, and he wasn't. And there, ticket after ticket, hundreds of tickets were leaving every month like that. That's all he okay. needed to do, and all of a sudden, the labor rate or, or the the labor rate is a non-issue. All of a sudden, his parts of labor ratio come in line, and he's charging appropriately.
0: Well, the the scariest part about that is not the ARO, right? The scariest part about that is is that that we have created a situation where a we can create a technician who uh, is thinking about cutting corners now because he's not being paid for doing his job fairly right yeah this guy was
1: frustrated um, with his technicians because they weren't they weren't uh, you know billing out enough hours every single week and I said you're expecting your technicians to be at 200 percent efficiency on every job because yeah. you're only charging as half as many hours as you should exactly exactly and
0: and then we also have not set proper expectations with the customer and we're not doing the job for the customer that we should be doing talk about a reputation and a comeback issue. Right, so so you've compounded all of your problems with this one stupid simple little thing that shouldn't be a problem at all. It's it's very easy to take care of this, right? Get the right parts on the job. Get all the parts you need to do the job properly. Charge appropriately in in time references and parts references, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Remember, the labor guide is just that; it's a guide. It it doesn't account for the fact the cars, you know. 5, 10, 15 years old, that it's rusty. You you need to be charging more time for it. And, and just set proper expectations. And I, I think a lot of that does come back to fear. Now, there are some shop owners, right? And we know a lot of them. But those aren't the ones that this episode is talking to. We know shop owners who just go out there and do it. Whatever, man. I got this, right? Doesn't bother me a bit. I, I can do this. But they've already done it, right? They've already taken that leap of faith. Whereas... Many of the shop owners that are listening to this episode saying, I could never do that. That That's taking advantage of my customers. No, it's taking advantage of your family. It's setting you up for disaster.
1: Yeah, and those same ones that are saying that I'm taking advantage of my customer never asked their customer what they actually want. Because I guarantee you the large majority of their customers are expecting a fully fixed vehicle. And exactly. you cutting this corner or that corner thinking you're saving the customer money. When in reality, that's not really what they care about. I'm okay paying you X amount of dollars, but I just expect the vehicle to work properly and last.
0: Right. You're costing them money because now they've got this tow bill. You didn't make enough money to be able to pay the tow bill. And now they've got this other failure, you know, down the line that some, broke something else. It caused the car to overheat in the middle of the night. Now they've got a blown head gasket. And, now, you know, it, it, it's a disaster. Right. The, and the that's
1: worst where... thing I could possibly hear from my customer. Is why didn't you catch this last time you were in there? That is, that will strike fear in me every single time. And, And that's how we approach our vehicles. I'd never want my customer to ever say that. Why didn't you catch it last time? Why didn't we do it while it was here last time? And so your pricing, the way you build your tickets, should, and at least at my shop, is built around avoiding that conversation entirely.
2: Absolutely. 100% yeah if I see a tow truck pull into my lot the first thing I do is look and and I hope that better be a new customer because if one of my customers (laughs) if one of my customers has come in on a tow truck there's a high probability that I've let them down in some way shape or form
1: and that should dictate your pricing that should dictate how you how you build your tickets you don't want to see that vehicle come back for whatever reason because you missed something you didn't mention something you were thought you were saving the customer money. That's not what you want to see.
0: And, well, I mean, look, that's where all these holdups come when it comes to to doing your evaluations, right? Well, I, I only want to put on the ticket what, what they actually need this time. I, d- I don't want to be telling them about things they don't need. They're going to think that I'm like those other guys. Yeah. No, just present the work and say, hey, look, here's the situation. Here's what's coming up. These things don't need to be done now. This probably does. Be transparent. Be honest they have a problem when somebody tries to sell them something that they don't need or a fraudulent recommendation maybe you know i just talked to somebody the other day that that had been working at a facility and and um he said i was told by leadership that i was to um have the technicians recommend transfer case and ptu services on two wheel drive vehicles and he said that was an eth uh, a, a very ethical problem for me and i quit and I said they really do that and he said yeah that's who you're that that's who you're worried about being if you're being honest if you're doing what's right for your customer serving your customer giving them the best information you have that's a non issue right we don't even have to worry about that anymore
1: yeah so uh, as you started shifting your pricing up did did you see pushback from your employees
2: that's a great question and the answer is yes um not all um, but i had one um advisor who has been um with the business 30 plus years um and he was very reluctant um he was of the mindset that you know um if if i got this bill that would be a, a huge bill and, and uh, it took a long time to explain to him that you know you're not getting this bill this is not and if you if if you were in this situation you know, I need you to stop thinking about it through your eyes and think if maybe your wife was in this situation, how would you want her car repaired? You know, how, how would you like her to be taken care of? Um, but his, his fear was more, um, he really wanted everyone to love him. That, that was his, his thought was that everyone who comes through the door has to absolutely love me. And, and I want them to, to feel great about me even if it meant at the time, maybe not doing what was best for them. And and it took a lot of work with him, a lot of one-on-one coaching with him to shift that mentality that said, you know what, your job isn't necessarily to have everyone love you. It's to do what's best for them. And sometimes those two things, you know, sometimes they might not understand that, but at the end of the day, you have to go home and know that you've done what's best for our clients because that's number one. Right. So it, it took some time. Um, as things changed, uh, he did at at different points come to me and say, you know, I just can't believe how much better we do now with people. I just can't believe how much better I feel about the service we provide now. So he, he came along, but there, there was, um, definitely a transition period that took a lot of, uh, coaching with him. And, and, you know, I was very proud of him too, to, 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 you know, to get to the
1: other side of that. I think that's the exception. I think most of the time, as and, and that that could be a factor in the in the hesitancy of a shop owner to start raising their prices, because maybe they do have a service advisor or some a helper in the in the front office, and they, you know, they they fix their labor matrix or or their parts matrix, I should say, or they add a labor matrix, uh, or they tweak their labor rate, and all of a sudden the the advisor is saying, man, why is this so much? This, uh, you know, these front struts that were, I was selling them all day at 650 I can't sell them at $1,100. What happened? It's like, well, you know, we're using better quality parts. Um, you know, we tweaked the labor rate. Uh, I added some time in there for some other work that we were doing that wasn't included bef- before. Uh, you know, now we recommend an alignment every single time we do a suspension component. Um, and you'll have pushback, not from the customer. Because customer doesn't care, right? If you have trust and rapport built with that customer, they're gonna go with whatever you recommend to them. Most of the time, right? Instead, you get pushed back from the employee. I've seen shop after shop have to let go of some employees because of that, and they said, "Hey, they just they didn't come around to our new mindset." But even that, that that was something they a fear they had to face themselves
2: yeah i agree I, I as I say, it took a lot of one on one coaching with this particular advisor um but I think through strong leadership and the ability to sit down with with the staff and explain the why, you know not just go in and say hey tomorrow we're we're charging x when yesterday we charged y it, it's it's sitting down and explaining what why we're doing this and and why the client's gonna benefit why the the team's gonna benefit, why the business is is gonna benefit and once once we understand the why and it makes sense,
1: I think it's much easier to get on board. Yeah. You're providing purpose to the, to the changes, not just making changes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And, and, you know, I, I think sometimes we hear that, well, the boss is trying to load his pockets, right? So we have to counter that. We have to give them perspective. We have to help them understand. And, and, you know, it can be a really daunting task. And I I think in some situations, when you have a um a shop owner who makes these changes there are some service advisors there there could even be technicians who won't follow along with this change you need to be prepared for that um you know i i know this is a touchy subject but i think it's important we all realize that employees aren't necessarily forever You know, I think as shop owners, we bring people in and we think they're going to be here forever and they're part of the family. Man, they're going to be the greatest. This is awesome. The more I've grown as a business owner, I I realize that that's not realistic. And I'm sure a lot of people figured that out before me. I'm slow. I get it. But I guess my point is, is that all too often we get committed to this idea. It has to be this person in the shop. I think if, if more shop owners would be quick to fire, quick to say, Hey, listen, you know, here's the expectations. If we can't meet these, we need to do something different. Um, I think shop owners would find themselves in a lot better place.
1: Yeah. Typically I, in my experience, and I know I've been this way, I'm typically more loyal to the employee than the employee is to the business or to me or to, to the other employees in the shop. I have a, a, I feel like I owe them something, other than just a paycheck for their for their hard work. Um, it, it, does that make sense? Oh
0: God, I feel you like know I, I need to. <laughs> I Do need to protect them, on. and I,
1: I've had employees stay on here way longer than they should have. And you know, I, for for whatever reason, I had this sense of loyalty. Like oh, I can I can change them. I can make them see the light. They're going to change tomorrow. Tomorrow's the day. Never happens. It never happens. Period. Ever.
0: Well, <laughs> you know, look, look at this last situation. Um, Except the
1: uh, Jeffs guy. Jeffs guy saw the light, so kudos to you, Jeff.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, the last situation I was in, um, the employee was unhappy, right? And and as a matter of fact, in the last two situations where I had to let somebody go in that manner or they left, the employee was unhappy. It wasn't a good fit. But they were trying to be honorable. They were trying to stick around and, and tough it out as much as possible because I saw something that wasn't there, right? And and yeah. Rick continually told me, like, you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, and it is not working. Like, I, I, I get that you think this is going to somehow change. Something's going to get better. You're going to fix this. It's not. I promise. I've seen it time and time again, and you told me that, and other people told me that, the deal with the service advisor situation. I could listen to the calls, and I had to have a trash can beside me because I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to throw up. This is horrible. He'll get better. No, I, he didn't have the skill set. He didn't have the ability to get better, right? But I was sacrificing the the numbers, and I was sacrificing the quality I wanted for my customers, because I cared about somebody and I wanted what was best for them. Sometimes as a business owner, you've got to be ruthless. You've got to care about the business. You've got to care about your customers in a different way. I have to serve them at a high level and we can't get enamored by trying to keep this employee on. So, you know, when you start making these changes as a business owner, if you get somebody that bucks, you need to be ready for that to happen. Yeah. Let, let me ask you a question. Absolutely. So let's go back four years, five years, whatever it is. And, and the Jeff Ford that was standing in front of the shop in 2018 – What would you say to him? What would be the three things that you would say to him right here and right now? It doesn't have to be about price. It doesn't have to be about this, that, or the other. What are the three things that would have changed Jeff Ford's trajectory that if he had just known those things a little bit sooner, a little bit earlier, what are the three things that you think would have made the biggest difference?
2: Um. I think the first thing that would have made a huge difference is if I if I could go back and and tell myself right now, you know, one thing. Let's let's say one thing. The the most important thing is that not everybody is going to like everything you do, and that's okay. Um, I I struggled early on with trying to be everybody's best friend. That was the the staff, um, the the clients, uh, just trying to be everybody's best friend. And I think realizing that that, you know, sometimes not everyone's going to agree with what you do and that's okay, would have been a major benefit for me, huge. Um, and then another major one was, was going to be that when you make a mistake or when something goes wrong, it's just an event in time and, and it's not a, a huge deal, right? I was so, always so hesitant to do anything because I was like, well, you know, if I put out this marketing piece and it flops, that'll be horrible, and if I could go back, I would slap myself upside the head and say it won't be horrible. It'll, it'll, you'll just do it again. You'll just try again. If 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 you don't try things, you're never going to succeed, right? So again, back to fear. It's just I, I've let fear or had let fear dictate a lot of my early decisions when I bought the shop. So it would be just to, to kind of let myself know to take a breath, you know, whatever, whatever happens is going to happen and you're going to get over it. And it's going to be,
1: you know, it's going to be awesome on the other side. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Make sure you check out our Patreon page. The different membership levels are crazy cheap, but they'll help support the show. If you're listening to this on Apple podcasts, leave us a review. It will help spread the word as always. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you have any topic suggestions, please reach out to me via email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time.